That summer's nearly with us and there's not a lot of dough. You think about your holidays where you can afford to go. You can't afford the cost of packet, but then a happy thought. There's always cost to Cleethorpes as a last resort. Hello and welcome to The Last Resort, another New podcast from Urban Tiger Radio, sponsored by CybermouseMultimedia.com. I'm Bill Allerton, and I want to tell you, before we go any further, about a little trip that I made to Poland over the Easter weekend. We went to Gdansk. Why Gdansk, you might say. I might say that I'm still asking myself that same question, but having said all that, it was uh, quite an enjoyable weekend. Being advised that flying from Doncaster now is very easy because there's a link road that takes you straight to the airport. Well, all I can say is I didn't find it. I found something that bypassed Portree that dropped me straight back into suburban motoring again and having to follow signs that occasionally failed to exist to get to the airport. But there again, we managed it. Wizz Air fly to Gdansk from Doncaster. Their seating is truly cattle class with virtually no leg room, and I was really uh, feeling concerned about the guy in front of me who was over six foot, and he must have had his knees to his chin, because I'm five foot and a bit, and I wasn't that comfortable. Anyway, when we finally got through immigration in Gdansk, there was a taxi waiting for us at midnight to take us to the Cubus Hotel, which is good value, except for the trams that rattle past all night if you've got your window open. But, having said that, with the tram stop literally 50 yards away, and the old town no more than seven or eight minutes walk through the underpass, designed by Stalin, I think, in a moment of uh, anxiety, you couldn't actually be more central unless you were actually staying on the Dluga, which is the main tourist trap street. The river runs past the Cubus Hotel on its way into town, and the hotel offers a free boat trip around the harbour and marina areas. Nice small boat, worthwhile trip, and it's free! The rooms, the standard hotel class that you would expect anywhere, with a free safe if you're concerned about your valuables, but as I don't have any except Bryony, it was wasted on me. We tried breakfast one day there, but found it less stressful to saunter under the road through a very well-lit and allegedly monitored concrete underpass, like Stalin's bunker, and on to Dluga, the main street, and relax in a restaurant stroke cafe. A lot of the architecture on the outskirts of the old town is somewhat brutalist, but the old town itself is picturesque, if small by comparison with other European cities. We asked where the main shopping street was, and the answer is, they don't have one. The Gdanskians shop in suburban malls, with more new ones under construction. The Dluga itself has many fine buildings, central to which is Neptune's fountain, outside supposedly the largest brick-built cathedral in Europe, and it's lined on one side with restaurants and cafes, and on the other with shops selling vast quantities of amber jewellery and tourist tat. It was on there that we found the Flying Dutchman Café under the Holland House Hotel. We sat outside one evening next to the gas stoves that flared away along the length of the street, but eventually moved inside, where we were shown to a tiny cosy booth next to the bar, where we could enjoy watching the fastest and most versatile cocktail-maker I have ever seen. The waiter who helped us there was Christoph, a very happy and helpful young man who was full of useful information and who spoke very good English, 
The food there was good and reasonably priced and very well presented. The usual complimentary cherry vodka was followed by several others from the staff. We would go back there again, we decided, when we'd sobered up. We kept bumping into Christophe over the weekend, once when he came in with his very pretty girlfriend, and once when he was on his way to the football match between two local teams. He has a perpetual smile. Nice guy. Thanks, Christophe. You helped us to enjoy our stay in Gdansk. On the taxi ride in from the airport, Thomas, our driver, had said there was a famous reenactment of the trial of Christ taking place in the town centre on the east of Friday night, so we went along, not knowing what to expect. What happened was amazing. The action took place on a few elevated stages where the Romans and the priests and main characters could be seen, but mostly took place within the crowd. It was a total immersion. The music and vocals played alongside it were captivating. We couldn't understand the language, but we knew the plot, so that was okay. It was like we were aliens just dropped in from outer space. wrapped itself around us and drew us into the action where the Christ figure dragged the life-size cross to us all to get to the various stages. This is not always an advantage when you're my height. At times it was truly immersive. The Christ figure tried to turn the cross around but my legs were in the way and my shins were rattled by the woodwork. I was shouted at in Polish by a Roman centurion, but with a concrete waste bin behind me and the official videographer leaning on my shoulder, I was going nowhere. I hung on to Briony, in case someone suggested Calvary as our next stop. I won't forget that one in a hurry. The other place we went to was the Solidarity Museum. This is a great, hulking, rusty brute of a place, set just inside the door of the shipyard where Lech Walenska and his friends organised a general strike that signalled the beginning of the end of Polish-Soviet-style socialism. I was barely politically aware at that time of my life, and although I heard of the events, seeing them admirably demonstrated in the museum was an eye-opener. I think it changed me. Few things do. Ask Bryony. Now Gdansk has two beaches. We visited both by tram from the hotel. Stoggy Plaza is reminiscent of a post-apocalyptic Kleethorps, and Jellikoff Beach has an advertised pier, which turns out to be a set of staging making its way uncertainly out into the Baltic. The high spot of this one was the half dozen or so bathers, including a shapely one in a bikini, dashing in and out of the waves at two degrees C. We also took a trip down the river on the Shana Pearl, Black Pearl, a boat got up like a very ornate pirate galleon that sold beer on a freezing day. The river is only interesting if you like cranes, not the nesting kind, these are a hundred foot tall and painted green, but it is a working port. What made it worth the trip was the black sea otter who ran alongside us on the dock as if racing the boat. Gdansk 
Was it worth it? I think so. But it's a three-day visit made into a four-day one by the flight arrangements. But like Bryony said at that fateful moment, we all have our cross to bear. Speaking of crosses to bear, I want to continue this week's podcast with a humorous short story titled Obtuse from my collection Firelight on Dark Water, Tales of the Warm and Wonderful. Firelight on Dark Water is available right now on Amazon or direct from CybermouseMultimedia.com on our website. Check out the link to the website and buy it from there. Being obtuse, of course, is just another angle on life. Practice well, it becomes a cussed streak against any form of order or conformity until it inquires the status of a religion. Its practitioners, and I know many of them, finding it a sort of wild expression that irritates the hell out of the rest of us. This is a story of someone who decided to place freedom of expression above everything else. However, if you try to live like this, there is a cumulative effect that slowly builds into the catastrophic. Some people wring change from every situation. Others wait patiently to have change wrought upon them. Arthur was one such, in his dour suit and undertaker's shoes, until he met the redoubtable Mrs. Eamon McCandless, deceased, a great believer in the obtuse. "'Arthur,' said Mrs. Eamon McCandless, deceased, "'it seems that at this point in my life I have discovered a passion for the obtuse.' She toyed her large fat fingers around a green sea-jade tulip vase from the mantel. Arthur looked down at his black undertaker's shoes, his pipe-stem ankles, and the way his little toes bulged the leather like a whole dam of spent miles about to burst, and remained silent. McCandless himself, she went on, was a great believer in perfection. Arthur turned his gaze to the fly with the damaged wing orbiting the light shade. But one can certainly tire of that, she added with an air of finality. She took the urn that Arthur had brought and tipped the remains of Eamon McCandless deceased into a pink onyx ashtray and smiled a great, deep, secret smile. She stared intently at Arthur, who sat there with hair awry and the sleeves of his coat hung limply from slender, indifferent and uneven shoulders. "'But you,' said Mrs. McCandless, "'you, Arthur, you have possibilities.' For six months, Arthur and Mrs. Eamon McCandless shared a bliss that, given her newfound reluctance to submit to any form of perfection, was without doubt a veritable feast of discord and asymmetry. After the first month, a leg fell from the bed as they lay there, laughing in irregularity and disarray at their own good fortune. Arthur moved to fix it. "'Obtuse!' roared Mrs. McCandless. "'It's quite obvious that it was no longer able to cope with such order as to be one corner of a square. Let it be. Let it be obtuse.' In time... Arthur came to find that obtuseness hard to bear, with the bed having collapsed upon his only pair of shoes, and now he was left with just the new single left shoe Mrs. McCandless had brought him from the rummage sale. The other, said Mrs. McCandless, was probably off somewhere being obtuse. 
Within a few months more, the house was a wreck. Mostly, it went unnoticed, as Arthur and Mrs McCandless veered from outright displacement to dissimilarity with great glee in each other's capacity for discordance, until nothing was left that didn't either lean or fall when touched, or wouldn't close or was jammed shut, or juxtaposed in nauseating unfamiliarity with the least of its neighbours. By the end of December, the house was freezing. The windows wouldn't close, and the doors were either missing or ajar. Arthur slid out of bed one morning onto the floor and pushed in the plug for the heater. The heater was trapped under the bed with Arthur's old shoes, so, in desperation, he reached in. As he pulled it out, the wires became detached from the plug. Juice, thought Arthur, who by now was well conditioned, and pushed the wires back into the small hole at the bottom of the plug before slipping it into the socket. He got up, put on his old shoes, absent-mindedly switched on the light that no longer seemed to work, then went out into the bathroom. Mrs. Eamon McCandless, deceased, slid out of the bed onto the exact spot Arthur had just vacated. Seeing that the heater was plugged in, but not working, she touched the switch on its side. Immediately she found herself immersed in her own worst nightmare. Her arms and legs extended out from her body in acutely perfect angles. Her hair stood from her head in equidistant, evenly stranded tufts of equivalent length. Everything about her, from the matching saucers of her eyes to the perfect O of her mouth, breathed symmetry. The shock of such perfection reeled her away from the heater and across the room. With her right foot jammed firmly into Arthur's oversized one good left shoe, she caught the birdcage where it hung suspended from the once thought disused light fitting. Electricity crackled through her once more, illuminating the smoke from the crisp remains of the parrot dangling from the underside of its perch before flinging her back across the room and through the missing door. As she passed the landing, Arthur's shoe furled unerringly in the detached edge of the stair carpet, swinging her around in a perfect arc, and thence down the stairs, striking each step firmly and resoundingly and as regularly as a chiming clock. "'So you see, Miss Finch,' said Arthur, "'she died from a peculiar kind of order, such an ordered order as to be almost, shall we say, Obtuse. Miss Finch shuffled on the sofa, picked up the dead fly from the carpet by its one intact wing, placed it in a small paper bag she took from her pocket, then put it in her handbag. Arthur toyed with the sea jade vase. She was a good woman, he said. Miss Finch straightened the rug with the toe of her neatly polished shoe, lifted the coffee table back to its feet and plumped up the cushions behind her. A good and plentiful woman, said Arthur, and with a passion that I once thought match my own, but one can certainly tire of that. And with an obtuse elbow he knocked the pink onyx ashtray from the mantel. The combined remains of Mr. and Mrs. Eamon McCandless, deceased, drifted like silent smoke towards the lounge carpet. Miss Finch dashed forward with a discarded newspaper and caught them. Gently and reverently, she tapped their remains into the green sea-jade tulip vase. "'But you,' said Arthur, with a deep 
and secret smile. You, Miss Finch, have possibilities. Well, I hope you enjoyed Obtuse, and uh, I hope you don't fall into the trap of thinking that chaos is always better than order. Uh, I think myself, I prefer chaos within order. So, uh, but then again, I'm noted for being somewhat obtuse myself. I'm going to finish off now with uh, Roy Blackman telling you all about Cleethorpe's The Last Resort. Now summer's nearly with us and there's not a lot of dough. You think about your holidays where you can afford to go. You can't afford the cost of packet, but then a happy thought. There's always cost to Cleethorpe's as a last resort. The last resort, the last resort. If you've never been to Cleethorpe's, then you ought, oh yes, you ought. It stinks of fish so rotten, cause it's too near Grimsby Port. But it's lovely at Cleethorpe's, if you want a last resort. And when you get to Scunthorpe and you see them bars of steel, you realise you're an holiday. It's how it makes you feel. But it's blooming grim at Grimsby. And aren't you glad you bought a ticket overweight to Cleethorpe's? As a last resort, the last resort, the last resort. If you've never been to Cleethorpe's, then you ought, oh yes, you ought. It stinks of fish so rotten, cause it's too near Grimsby Port. But it's lovely at Cleethorpe's if you want a last resort. And there's all the fun at seaside, and there's roundabouts and swings. They've got a lovely boating lake with cockles, whelks, and things. But if you go a swimming, you might enjoy it for a bit. But be sure to keep your mouth shut. You'll be swallowing the sand, the last resort, the last resort. If you've never been to Cleethorpe's, then you ought, oh yes, you ought. It stinks a piece so rotten. Cause it's too near Grimsby Port, but it's lovely at Cleethorpe's if you want a last resort. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me. And a <coughs> from Nelly. Goodbye.